Hey everyone, this is Jeff Berman from the Berman Hour podcast. Duh, right? Who else would it fucking be? I need your help. I need you to subscribe to this podcast. I need you to give us a five-star rating, and I need you to write a review. Now, it does not matter one iota what podcast app you use to listen to this here great Berman Hour podcast. doesn't matter what you're using. What does matter is that you leave us five stars, you write a review, and you subscribe. So please do so. Every little bit helps. Thanks. Enjoy this episode. Hello and welcome to this week's episode of the Berman Hour podcast. I am your host, Jeff Berman. Thank you for tuning in. My guest this week is Rachel Taft. She runs Feed the Scene, which is a Baltimore-based nonprofit that literally feeds and houses bands that tour through the greater Baltimore area. Unbelievable. Such a great person. If you know Rachel, then you know she's good people. There are these signs around my neighborhood that people have put up recently that say, look for the helpers. It's a Mr. Rogers reference. And when I see those signs, I think of a few key people. And Rachel Taft is one of those people. She's like Leslie Nope. She uses the favors that she gets to help other people. And if you get that reference, then give yourself a high five in the car or on the subway or wherever the hell you are listening to this. If you don't get the reference, then don't worry about it. But yes, coming up, Rachel Taft. Also, today is the 27th of October. We're one week away from Election Day. And as I intended to do, I have a new Divided Heaven song out today called They Poisoned Our Fathers. First, it features Lydia Lovelace, who is one of my favorite singer-songwriters, and she was kind enough to lend her vocals to this song. But most importantly, this song is really about something that I've noticed while touring America through the Trump years. I've had reoccurring conversations with people I can't believe my father's a Trump supporter. I can't believe my mother voted for Trump. I can't believe my uncle did this. I can't believe my brother, blah, blah, blah. And it's sickening. Everybody has Trumpers in our lives. And when you come to that reality, it's not easy to fight back against it. And we've now been gaslit by this fucking con man for four years. And the people who have faced the brunt of it, our LGBT community, our immigrant community, the women in our lives who have been marginalized and fucking called names by this fucking pig, it makes me sick. So I went out of my way to write a song for Divided Heaven called They Poisoned Our Fathers, which is meant to be vulgar, it's meant to be offensive, and it's meant to call out all of these pathetic men that we all know. This song was my way of asking these Trump supporters... Does our existence pain you so badly that you continue to support such a vile person? Are you more offended by teenage school shooting survivors speaking out against the gun lobby than you are by the politicians who prop up the NRA? Are you more offended by Colin Kaepernick taking a knee than by the systematic racism and police brutality he is fighting against? Are you more offended by strong, independent women articulating and advocating for fairer politics than by the male politicians who constantly denigrate them? If that's you, then this song's going to offend you, as it should. And I'm fucking proud of it, and my band is proud of it, and my producer's proud of it, and my label's proud of it, and I hope you enjoy it. And if you do, please share it with somebody. This is the age where word of mouth means more than anything. 
So wherever you listen to music, wherever you stream music, Bandcamp, Spotify, iTunes, Apple Music, Deezer, Tidal, Rhapsody, wherever you go, please look for Divided Heaven, They Poisoned Our Fathers. Thank you. Enjoy my wonderful conversation with the wonderful Rachel Taft. This week's episode of the Berman Hour podcast is brought to you by New Wave, who are bringing us Flow State Coffee, which will help you stay focused. It will help you stay creative without all the negative side effects of regular coffee. Get 10% off your first order at newwave.co slash Berman, N-O-O-W-A-V-E dot C-O slash B-E-R-M-A-N. New Wave, Flow State Coffee. Let's get it. I don't know what we're facing down in these next few months, but I, I don't have a good I feeling about either. it. It's going to be really interesting. Um, I'm curious to see what everything settles down like after kids are entirely all back to school. But also at this point, they've been given so many false starts in terms of staying home or actually going. So I don't know if it will settle out. Yeah. Are you are, are you a, an optimistic type of person? Like, do you look at this situation and think, all right, this will be a way for us to improve our culture, our general livelihoods, uh, our approach to drastic problems? Or do you look at this and just think, oh, Jesus Christ, we're fucked? I feel like you kind of have to look at it a little bit both ways. Because if you only look at it the sad way, you'll never get out of bed. All right, I'll take your word for it. I'm out of bed. but <laughs> Great. But yeah, you know. I mean, Solid I'm, start for the day. <laughs> yeah, it's not. But I, no, I, I mean, it's not much. Stuff, there's a lot of stuff that we can really improve upon that we just learned is possible. I mean, we've been telling different abled people for years that they weren't able to work from home, and we just entirely proved them all we were lying. There's a hundred percent ways for people with different abilities to work from home now, and reasonably, people who are completely able to work from home now. I mean, in the spring, we were seeing all those beautiful photos of how far away we could see. Because there was less pollution everywhere because less people were driving. And that should be something we're aiming for. <laughs> you know, it was nice to not have everyone on the road. Obviously, the al- amount of people less we had on the road isn't reasonable for everyday life. But a lot of people can work from home if need be. Yeah, I guess uh, where I'm that, that's all well and good. I guess where I'm stuck is I can't. It's, it's like all of this new technology has made it so that we can work from home if you are a clear and articulate and effective communicator. True. Yet at the same time, the man who holds the highest office is the antithesis of an effective communicator. And the, I hate to use this phrase, but I'm going to use it, the, the trickle down of that is that the people who run the school boards and the people who run these companies, they kind of dangled different dangerous options for, for their workers and, sure. and for their we students. Also had no concise leadership. So it was very hard for people to know what was safe. You know, when the, when the person who is the highest scientific mind in our country is telling us one thing and the other guy is going, nah, I don't think so. You know, it, it's really hard for people to make informed decisions. And I, you know, I don't, think that every single business leader is altruistic because we know that's not real. But I do think they want to do the best things for the best outcome for their company, which is, i.e., not killing all of their workers, (laughs) you know. 
So not having a clear message of how to safely do things was probably very stressful for people who own large companies. Yeah. Well, how, how do you think that your city, being Baltimore, Maryland, Charm City, has weathered this pandemic? It's been interesting. Um, we have Governor Hogan, who is, you know, has been largely lauded in the media as, you know, a solid, you know, person who's responding to the pandemic responsibly. And for the most part, I, I generally think he has, but also he is susceptible to his voter base, which is mm -hmm. Republican anti-mask wearing conservatives to a certain extent. I wouldn't say all of them because there are a lot of moderates who who like Hogan, but he very quickly backed off all of that, you know, hard-nosed stuff he was doing. And all of a sudden now it's the county's jobs to do whatever. He basically took that same note from Trump and then let, instead of letting the governors handle it, he's letting the counties handle it. So Baltimore city decided not to open up because we have a lot of people who are, you know, in much closer proximity than a lot of other places. Mm -hmm. And mayor young got a lot of backlash for it. Right. It's a passing the buck of responsibility type of Absolutely. thing. Absolutely. Yeah. I think Mayor Young's done a decent job for someone who's not going to be mayor, you know, in a couple of months because he didn't win the election or he, well, I don't think he will win the election. Let's go with that. Wait, no, he did not win the nomination. So no, he won't even be running. Okay. He didn't win the primary. <laughs> Wait, we haven't had the election yet. Yeah. Yeah. It feels like we should have had four elections by now. Yeah. This election cycle has, uh, it's Do been. you remember the Tiger King? <laughs> it was four years ago. <laughs> It's been like dog years or tiger yes, years. Absolutely. It's nuts. <laughs> like, uh, I can't remember a year that I felt like took this long. I know. I know. And we're only in September. We still have months of this. I know. <laughs> Jesus Christ. And who knows if 2021 will get better? And we still have no idea what any of this means for our industry. Like, uh, we'll, we'll get to that. I can't jump in. I can't jump in from, you know, like anti-mask Republican assholes into, you know, the demise of, of our touring industry d too soon. Cause that's, that's too much of a one, two punch. I'm just, I'm not ready for that. You know? Okay. It's too early in the morning. Too early in the morning. Yeah. Um, but are you from Baltimore originally? Is that where you were born and raised? No, I was born in Annapolis, which is about 30 minutes South approximately pinkies up in boat shoes. What? It's what fancy is in Annapolis, and it's the sailing capital of the world. So everyone has their pinkies up and is wearing boat shoes. Oh, yes. I just knew it as a – it's the capital of Maryland, right? Yes. Yeah. Yeah, that's cool. And so when – At one point, it was the capital of the United States when the White House burnt down a long time ago, but oh. only a very short period of time. That's my, my city, Lancaster, Pennsylvania, was the capital for a day. September. Nice. It's coming up September 29th, seventeen. 77 i we believe have a party. i know we, we we might we might i think it also falls on yom kippur so i'll oh, make okay. a brisket and <laughs> <laughs> we'll pretend that we're eating uh an english person oh that no jews make brisket we're good at it yeah i yeah exactly like that's why i had brian forced over for dinner and i made him a brisket and he was so tired because he was on tour and I pulled it out of the oven and then I put it back in for another 45 minutes and he almost cried. Oh yeah. I bet. <laughs> I bet. So what, what did you graduate high school in Annapolis, Maryland? I went to high school in Severna park. Okay. Went okay. to Severn college preparatory school. And then where did you end up going to school, school, university? I went to James Madison in Virginia. Really? 
I did. I didn't know that. I love JMU in Harrisonburg. I, I also loved JMU a little too much. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, were you involved? Did you participate in MacRock the years that you were there? No, it's funny because um, Jake Crown was actually at in Harrisonburg at the same time I was from Coffee Project, and we didn't know each other at all. Oh man, Harrisonburg! I mean, it, it was. It, it, <laughs> I was a. I was going to frat parties and drinking free beer because I liked free beer and I got some. <laughs> There's plenty of that. So yeah, for those that don't know, James Madison University in Harrisonburg, Virginia is a very uh, Greek life oriented campus, very sports oriented. But but the the yang to that yin, if you will, is that there's there's like a, a hippie enclave. There's there's a decent amount of punks. There were a lot of people from my little town in Pennsylvania. It was like one year, one person went, and then the next year, a dozen went there, and it yeah. it, it just well, grew. Like a ton of people. Like I definitely went to shows while I was down there. I saw two skinny J's at like the Main Street Main Street Bar and Grill. <laughs> nice, nice. Yeah, um, I saw Strike I, Anywhere I in a basement up, there. My friends weren't didn't end up being punks only because the people that I started with in my dorm weren't. Got like, it. Like all my home friends were punks. Got it. Um, yeah, that's, that's, that's really interesting. And then did you go, go to Baltimore from there? Um, I moved home for a while and then I moved up to Baltimore. I, I moved up to Baltimore after my mom died. Oh, oh, okay. And how old were you when your mom passed away? Uh, I was 28. Okay. Cause, uh, because you and I know each other personally. Like I know yeah. that she was. And we've known uh, each other for almost a decade. It's I know, decade I know, man. But like, I, I want to talk about this. Like, well, she's sort of how feed the scene started. Exactly. Yeah, that's what I, I was gonna say. So, when you when you got to Baltimore, was that, you know, kind of you coming to your own? Like, you kind of had to break free from. It, it's sort of a weird story. Like, I was living with some friends at the time. Like, we moved up here. Um, I just needed something different. You know, my my life had had a, a giant upheaval. And I didn't really know what I was doing with myself. And I had ended up getting laid off from my job. I was working in the sign industry at the time. And I really liked that because, you know, I like making giant things. <laughs> and I'm very good at organizing stuff, you know, which lends itself well to concert preparation. But <laughs> so I moved up here and I had gotten laid off from my job. My roommate and I had a falling out. And I decided that I was going to take off the next nine months and just do whatever I wanted and, and take some time to heal me, you know, myself. Cause I was, you know, not in a great headspace. You were grieving. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. And you know, it's like my life had been ripped apart. I didn't know what to do. And so I started cooking a lot because it made me feel really close to my mom. She was a phenomenal cook. Like I was so lucky as a child. I, I know that a lot of people don't get that experience, but my mom could cook anything. Like half the stuff I fed all of you guys is stuff that was my mom's recipes. Oh, that's wonderful. That's wonderful. Did you have brothers and sisters? I have one brother. He's two and a half years younger than I am. He lives in California. If you live anywhere near San Francisco, go to subpar miniature golf. <laughs> Fair enough. I he, wish I would have known that. I I feel like every time I'm in San Francisco, I've got, 
I've got time to kill because I've spent well, so much time. Well, now you can go there. He, it's a hand-built miniature golf course. He and all of his artisan friends, my brother went to college for uh, industrial design. So him and all of his art friends out there hand-built all the holes on the course. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah, and they're all like local landmarks and stuff. It's pretty cool. I'm very bad at mini golf, so I did not win. How can you be bad at mini golf? <laughs> I am so terrible at it. My, my dad actually built one of the holes in oh. the new place because my dad's a, a retired woodworker. My dad's a retired woodworker. Maybe they should be friends. Yeah. Wait, is your dad Jewish as well? No, my mom. My mom was my dad. Your mom was Jewish. Oh, okay. My my dad is a Jewish carpenter. So I always <laughs> tell people that my dad is Jesus Christ. <laughs> I mean, clearly, that's like when I tell people that I cure lepers. Fair enough. I've mean, never enough. seen anyone around me with leprosy, right? So, I mean, that's just how it works. That's how it works. Seeing is believing, or not seeing is is not believing. So you're you're... You're in the process of, of getting to Baltimore. You have a falling out, which we've all had at that time yeah, in our I mean, lives, especially after are, something so drastic. Yeah, yeah. Um, but it was your mother's love of cooking that really kind of, it was, was that your way of kind of staying tethered to her memory? She had also left me some money at the time. It was not a lot, and it was, it's not here anymore. Um, but you know, I supported myself with it for a while while I was, you know, taking some time off to heal myself, which I was really, really lucky to be able to do. That's, that's obviously not a a thing most people are, are able to do. Um, but so I started feeding people and then I had a whole bunch of friends who were already in the music industry locally because Annapolis is a really big music town. Like, you know, I don't know if that would surprise some people to find out, but it really is. There's a ton of music that's come out of Annapolis over the last, you know, couple of years or a couple of years, probably decades at this point. Um, I mean, technically it's a lot of big bands that had radio play for a while. Uh, either way. Um, <laughs> so they were all, you know, starting to, to tour. They were baby DIY bands at the time. And they were all telling me, you know, kind of crazy places they had stayed and how expensive and hard it is to tour. And so I sort of, you know, started asking people if they wanted to come over for dinner. Uh, my my roommate at the time um, didn't really like people in her personal space, so people didn't spend the night at that point yet. But so we just started basically having dinner parties. And this we, is in Annapolis, or this is in Baltimore. This is in Baltimore. Yeah. Okay. So we would invite a band over for dinner before the show, and we'd like hang out and talk to them and make friends, and then we'd all go to the show, and then they'd have to go somewhere else. <laughs> and eventually, she and I had the falling out. And, um, she moved out and another person moved in and then we actually ended up housing people and we had, I had a whole room full of air mattresses, which was kind of cool because the whole floor was like puffy, but also anytime you had to get up, go to the bathroom, you like stepped on people. people. Well, you're, you're jumping way ahead. We'll get into kind of how feed the scene grew a little bit, but I want to talk a little bit about a little bit more about, you know, like the, the connection to after your mother had passed away, like her love of cooking, that became something that that you loved to do. Um, and you know, was it something like you you felt a calling to cook for other people, or did it begin as just a calling to cook for yourself and the people in your home? So my mother actually taught me how to cook in college over the internet. <laughs> <laughs> She would send me a recipe every single week and she would send it to me on like Tuesday, Monday or Tuesday. And then I would go out and buy all the ingredients and we would have a dinner party at college and I would cook for like, you know, 10 or 12 people. And then we would all watch a movie. 
So, you know, she would just send me recipes I basically couldn't screw up and then they would get like progressively harder as we went. So, I mean, she wasn't there, but like she was still, you know, teaching me and I would call her on the phone while I was cooking. So I had always been feeding groups of people since I basically started. Yeah. That's really interesting. What do you think the the best lesson that you learned from your mom would be? I don't even know if that would relate I mean, I, to Yeah, cooking. I'm not trying to put you on the spot. <laughs> no, I mean, cooking or otherwise, you know, I mean, somebody who just, who played such a monumental, obviously monumental figure in your life. I don't even know if it was so much of a lesson as a level of care. My brother and I both had ADD, like super hardcore ADHD as children. And my mother legitimately went back to college to learn how to become a graphic designer to make sure it was a thing that she thought my brother and I could conceivably do for careers as artists. So she could help steer us in a direction that she thought we would be able to succeed in. Like that's a, a kind of crazy level of dedication. That is a crazy level. That I mean, that's amazing. Also, she so, really ended up liking graphic design and she started a graphic design, like a small graphic design company with a friend of hers. So I think she definitely got something out of it and it probably was more for her in some ways than us. Like my mother, 100% should have been running businesses. <laughs> she was extremely competent. Yeah, that's, that's really beautiful. So you're, you're in Baltimore now. And when I say now, I mean kind of <laughs> yes, going back in time. I, you're obviously there now as well. But you're in Baltimore. What was really your introduction to what we know now as the scene? You know, what was your kind of introduction to the world of, of punk rock and hardcore? Well, so I have been going to shows my whole life. We So there's a local guy around here who is actually not local because he has been in bands and he's toured with bands and he's been tour manager, Pat Martin who actually started this set of shows at the VF, the local VFW when I was in high school. It was five bands for five bucks. And we used to go every weekend. It didn't matter what was going on. Sometimes there was two shows in one weekend. And sometimes it was the same lineup and no one cared. It was like <laughs> 150 people showed up at the VFW. Isn't that amazing and- how in the 90s we were just so desperate to be entertained by anything yeah, other than what our parents were doing. There is now. I mean, you could get into an AOL chat room and you can ASL people all you want for hours, but like there was no real human connection. But, you know, it's, it's interesting because so many of the people that I know who are currently movers and shakers in the industry locally are people that I met from those shows. Like Pat is, I believe, one of the talent buyers for Metro Gallery. And he is a great resource. Like I, you know, I've known him forever. He's toured with bands I'm friends with. And there are other people that I met in, at the same time who are all, you know, involved in the music community still locally. So that was where you get a grasp of, of the, yeah, there's live music and yeah, Annapolis is known for live music, but there's a web, there's a sprawl, well, there's, just, a, there's yeah, a subculture. Out by the airport. So it mm-hmm. was technically just like Baltimore County. Mm-hmm. So that part of the music industry that I was involved in was like not really technically in Annapolis, but still it, it's, it bridged the gap between the two cities. Cause Annapolis, sure. it was like 15 minutes up the road. Yeah. Yeah. I got uh, you. It was, it was the same general scene. I mean, and that's what it was like yeah. in the nineties. Things weren't so the fiefdoms weren't so kind Small. of, yeah. Onto themselves. Like yeah, there was, well, it seemed like there were a lot. Things. What was that? You had to have more people to sustain things. 
Exactly. And it seemed like there were a lot less of us back then. So we needed to stick together. So yeah, there, there wasn't that much of a difference between Baltimore County and Annapolis or. Yeah. York, but I mean, I York remember going to like ska shows and things like that. Underground ska shows. It mm-hmm. was fun. I mean, VFW, I definitely miss those days, but also, I mean, we still have basement shows. So it's not like that is entirely gone. So I started there, you know, back when I was, 15, 16 years old. And then I went away to college, came back. And then I started, you know, looking around for shows again, because, you know, I knew there were local shows, but also I was a little bit older. You know, I wasn't 17 anymore. I was, you know, 24. Well, by the time I got to Baltimore, I was 28. So, Mm you know, your pulse is a little less, your fingers a little less on the pulse at that point. Um, But you also have more opportunities because you can go to the DIY shows if you know about them, but you can also go to the sidebar or the auto bar. Sure. Or, yeah. You know. well, that's the thing is I started, you know, I, I had been going to the sidebar since, you know, it opened. I had been going to the sidebar as long as I was legally allowed. <laughs> um, but yeah, so I started, I probably was going to sidebar shows, met some other people in local bands. And then I met um, an, a friend of mine, uh, Scott Jones, who was putting on a bunch of shows with a bunch of bands. I like, cause I was, you know, very into pop punk and ska and, and hardcore and things like that. And he was, or sorry, they were putting on a bunch of shows that um, I was really interested in. And they invited me to some of their shows. And I asked if I could start feeding people because I knew that bands didn't make a lot of money on the road. And I was like, hey, you know, I could feed your bands. That would be fun for everyone, right? Like they'd get a home cooked meal. Scott, you can come eat too. And then we'll just all have dinner together. And that was actually why Feed the Scene was called Feed the Scene, because we were only feeding people at the time. There was no no other, you know, things attached to it. Yeah. And that was when you and I met. It's It felt like you were pretty early into it. And did we yeah. meet in Richmond, Virginia? Yes. We met in Richmond, Virginia at, I think it was called the Rock Garden? Yeah. It was someone's DIY apartment and Protagonist was playing. And Divided Heaven was playing and go Rydell. That was that tour with go, go Rydell. Rydell and whatever other band that was from Richmond that my brain is farting on. Hold tight. Maybe it was the band that Kenny was in. Oh, uh, this is your life. Yeah, I think so. Yes. Okay. I think that was it. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. That, yeah that's I coming. You all dessert on the hood of my car. <laughs> Yeah, I, so, I mean, what brought you down to Richmond? Did you know someone who had? I knew every. There? I knew most of the people in protagonists at that point, and we knew. I knew Brian from being friends with less than Jake people. Oh, okay, okay. That 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 makes sense. That and the, sense. that that tour didn't have a stop in Baltimore, so I drove down. I mean, at that point, I was just going everywhere. I was just like, wherever there's music, I need to be in it because it is helping me. That's amazing. That's amazing. I think that was my first protagonist show on a guitar. Nice. Yeah. I had only been playing bass, but that was the first time I filled in for John, if I remember correctly. Yes. I think he had to fly home. Yes. Uh, yes. Now it's coming back to me. And I, the, another thing I remember about that night, you it was you brought us desserts, which were really good. And it was like a Guinness bread pudding. Does that sound yes, familiar? Yeah, chocolate Guinness bread pudding. That was amazing. And and I also tried that to Ken Casey from the Dracic Murphys. <laughs> I'll fight Kenny. I'll fight Kenny for some some <laughs> your Guinness chocolate bread pudding. Have one. <laughs> yeah. Um. Do, do, and also that night, I remember you said that. Are you related to President Taft? Yes, he is my great 
great-great-grand-uncle, I believe. I may be missing a great in there. Okay. Well, that's... He's related on my dad's side. That's amazing. That's amazing. I'm a descendant of President Taft's brother. Oh. What was his name? I don't know. <laughs> I, don't, I don't even think I know President Taft's first name. Uh, William Howard. William Howard Taft. Yes. Okay. See, ever since I moved back to, to Lancaster specifically, um, our claim to fame is we had a, a staunch abolitionist, um, Stevens, here. Um, what, what was his first name? Oh, my goodness. I'm blanking on his first name. <laughs> but anyway, he was, the, he was Tommy Lee Jones' character in the Lincoln oh, yeah. movie. Yeah. And so he's buried about a block away from our house, actually. And then we had President Buchanan was from here. And he was the president right before Abraham Lincoln. And he was always notoriously known as the worst president. But his grave is here. He has, well, not anymore. Not anymore, exactly. Right. But his I'm grave sorry. is here. His library is here. What would, would you say? I don't know if we have any Trump supporter listeners. Uh, well, if I do, then they're in the wrong they're in the wrong spot. So I, I I don't give a fuck. But it's been interesting. I've been going back, and I, I'm always kind of tickled by presidential history. And uh, every time oh, well, I come across uh, President yeah. Taft was the last president to own a White House cow before milk was delivered. Um, mm. He did not invent the seventh inning stretch, but he did throw out the first first pitch. Mm. Um. He did have a big bathtub installed in the White House. We have a picture of it in our house with like four people inside of it installing it. Nice. Um, Helen Taft uh, was his wife and he and she were ambassadors to, I forget exactly which country it was because my brain is farting right now, but they are the ones who negotiated for all the cherry trees on the mall in D.C., Oh, the cherry so, blossoms. Yeah, she renovated yeah. the mall and made it into a place for people to come visit and, you know, reflect. And she had all the cherry trees planted. Oh, beautiful. So she's responsible for it not being just a brutal swamp all the yeah. time. Good for her. Yeah. M- Mrs. That's, Tapp. That's most of the extent of my <laughs> extraneous presidential knowledge. Yeah. Um, that, that's, well, I'll, I'll take it and I'll, I'll use it. And the next time I'm doing some... Uh, Quiz game or something, you know, trivia. It'll probably never come up. <laughs> but if it does, the it's, only if question it does. that ever come up about him is how fat he was. <laughs> Fair enough. No, I think the bathtub or the cow. That's good. That's that's yeah. a good one. That's a good one. All right. So you're in Baltimore and you're feeding bands, but you're not just feeding bands burgers and hot dogs and and chicken wings and and delivering oh, no. pizzas. I mean, no, I mean you're you're cooking stuff, but you're you're using fresh ingredients and and quality ingredients and organic ingredients. Well, it was one of the things that I really realized, you know, as soon as I started doing this and I had more friends, you know, even more friends who were who were low level touring. And I, I say that with great respect, um, you know, how they were eating on the road. You don't have much time to be anywhere. And even now it's been harder to feed people just because it's harder for people to get places early. Fact. But, yeah. You know, people were eating terribly. And drinking a whole lot because every time you're in a new city, everyone wants to hang out with you because it's the only time they get to hang out with you. So clearly, you know, we need to drink now. Mm-hmm. And people were getting really run down. And so I figured, you know, once my roommate moved out and eventually we had gotten, we went from uh, inflatable beds to bunk beds. Um, you know, it was really important for people to have a safe place to sleep where they could actually get a real night's sleep. And eat something that was healthy 
like the last couple of years, we really had, you know, a hard time feeding people because again, they have a hard time getting here early enough for me to feed them, but we've still worked on it. You know, we haven't, we fed people this year. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and have you always been operating out of the house that I'm familiar with in yes, Baltimore? Always. It's such a beautiful house. Yeah. I, I bought it. I own it now. Yeah. Well, it's amazing. And that's great that you have that. Yeah, I'm really glad, too, because I was very worried for a while that we weren't going to be able to keep it. But luckily, my landlord was willing to sell it to me. That's amazing. I think she knew that I loved it more than anyone else and that I was going to take good care of it. Yeah. Um, And you've also, you know, I give you a a lot of credit for being, you know, kind of a tastemaker in in a lot of ways. Like, because you have fed everyone from Dropkick Murphys to Divided Heaven. and. There's there's quite a, a differential there in terms of a level of popularity, and so you know you're you're an equal opportunity feeder. You know you're yeah. you're helping bands of all sizes. Well, we run uh, our shows that way too. I mean, I've done a show yeah. for Wu Tang Clan, and also you. Yeah, and I, I want to talk to you about you're prom- so well. <laughs> d- doing promoting as well in in a minute. But you know, I remember one of the first times that we were hanging out, and it was finally just like the two of us, and like the cacophony of all of, you know, the smelly bandmates were like far away and it was just you and I like having coffee in your kitchen and you were telling me this great story about how Tony Sly wanted to help you do the dishes, you know? And, uh, and as you guys were doing the dishes, one of my songs came on and he said that he said that he liked it and it it brought it to you. I mean, it gives me goosebumps just thinking about it right now, but, uh, you know, that's, that's personally fulfilling for me, obviously to hear that, that Tony liked my music and especially considering it was so close, you know, he, he had passed away yeah. a week later or, or less it was than like four days later. Yeah. Um, but you've done, you've done a lot of that, you know, consciously and, and subconsciously where you've, you've ex- helped expose bands. And I think in a lot of ways you've helped break bands in addition to I mean, being, uh, you know, kind I of want a, everyone to succeed. I, yeah. I love all my friends. And I want them, I want them to go places and I want people to hear them and I want their messages to get out because one of the things that I love the most about this whole entire community is, you know, seeing online when people post things and you see fans post on band pages, like this song saved my life. This, this song keeps me running. This, this song makes me want to drive 90 miles an hour with the windows down. Like, I don't know where we would be without music. I can't play it myself. I play the stove. (laughs) <laughs> but you know, I'll, I'll feed the music. <laughs> I just need to keep playing. Yeah. Uh, at what point did you decide, and, and were you able to implement having feed the scene chapters around North America? And how was that rollout so been? For lack we of a had better a term? couple, and then we lost a couple. <laughs> okay. Technically, I still have one in the Philippines, and I have one in Denver. Yes. We had one in North Carolina, they lost their house, and we had one in Philly, and they lost their house. Mm-hmm. Um, and then everything got really complicated because we started doing larger shows, so it got a little bit harder um, to run any more of them. It got a little bit sidetracked. But Savvy and Ross um, have consistently run the one in December. Um, I think it's like three years younger than the original in Baltimore. Yeah, they've been feeding us for a long time. I was trying to think yeah. of that. I would say at least 2014 or 2015 is yeah, the first I think time that's that. Right. Yeah. Well, and shout out shout out to everybody in Denver who yes. we hope they're doing well. <laughs> yes, absolutely. Um they're actually getting married this month. Ooh. Savvy and Ross are getting married. 
Um, And then we have Jed in the Philippines who has run that, like he's only a year younger than the one I run, but also it's harder to run one over there because, you know, he has to deal with tsunamis and earthquakes (laughs) that are just completely, you know, something that I don't deal with over here. Yeah. Yeah. That's quite remarkable. What, what would you consider to be your, your greatest achievement for what Feed the Scene has done? Oh, God, the fact that we're still here. <laughs> I the mean, longevity? When I first started Feed the Scene, a lot of my friends kind of didn't get it. They thought it was weird or, you know, like, why are you spending all your money on these people who don't care? And now they all totally get it because, you know, I've been doing it so long and they see, you know, the benefits of it for me and the music community. Um, but you know, in, in the beginning I really had to, to double down on caring about it because mm-hmm. it was, you know, a personal expense. I funded it all myself. You know, I had, we did fundraisers a couple of times. We raised $6,000 for the bunk beds on uh, Kickstarter. Cause I was going to quote unquote build them. <laughs> and I did, they came in a kit but it counts damn it yeah you know it was mostly band members parents and band members who each donated 20 bucks until we reached six thousand dollars and they were like oh my kid has a bunk bed forever in baltimore okay at least they get one solid night of sleep where i know where they are exactly exactly (laughs) Instead of someone's random basement in this scary place um but yeah no like i i had to double down on it because it was also keeping me alive I, you know, I, I told you when we were, you know, first started this conversation, I was in a really, you know, kind of bad headspace when all of this started. And I have a really good habit of hibernating when if no one needs me, I will just hide in my room and not go anywhere for days. Mm-hmm. And it's not good. <laughs> so, you know, having people over forced me to participate in the world. And, you know, I had to get up in the morning and I had to bathe myself. <laughs> I had to, you know, I had to, I couldn't have cupcakes and cheese for dinner because I had to eat. I had to make dinner for everybody. And I had to clean the house because people were coming over and they were going to see it. So, you know, it's I, purpose. It's, it gives you yeah, a purpose driven life. Yeah. It, it saved me and I, and I saved it at the same time. Like I, I needed it as much as it needed me. Right. At what point did you decide to become a bona fide concert promoter because it's that one thing it's one thing to do you know it's one thing to do a show for for smaller bands or to kind of co-promote something at the sidebar but you're doing really big acts on really big stages in really big rooms in and around baltimore what made you want to take that jump so it's, it's so risky you know well the first concert we ever booked i'm pretty sure you played it was my feed the scene one year anniversary and we had 12 bands and it was the first concert I had ever run. And I, oh God, by 7.30, I didn't even want to be at my own show anymore. I was so tired. Oh, I, was that at the sidebar? Yeah. I yep. do remember that. Yeah. I and our that. headliner had to drop off because they had a family emergency. And I had to call in a, another headliner at the last minute who luckily was just super stoked to get fed. So they came up and played. <laughs> it was ridiculous. And yeah. thank you to all of the bands that played that day because all of you were wonderful. But so I started doing smaller shows at that point, And then I realized I really liked it. Mm-hmm. I didn't realize I was going to like the business of music so much. And we started to do 
you know, larger shows and larger shows and larger shows. And we moved up venue sizes. And then, you know, finally we're at the Anthem throwing a, you know, I throw, I threw two sold out 6,000 capacity shows in January or sorry, January, uh, 2008, one in April and one in November. Wow. I mean, that's probably my crowning achievement so far was 2018 as a year. Yeah. Who was it? Who was the, um, the show? Yeah, Black Star and Dead Prez for uh, which is most deaf and Talib Kweli in, in yeah. Black Star um, in April. We did that on 420 at the anthem, and then we had Wu Tang Clan and Red Man uh, in November. Oh, that was at Anthem too. I thought that was in Baltimore. No, that was at Anthem. Okay. Anthem has been very good to us. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah, that show was nuts. It was like two days after Fest. Oh, so you're so already like, just fucking high on life because you're we just came home from fest tired as hell and then had to run a sold out six thousand capacity concert. Yeah. Oh my goodness. Well, how many people are on your team at this point? In, um, in it Baltimore, depending. Um, I hold on. Who's my core? Because it's been fascinating to kind of see it grow. It's as if every time I, I've toured through Baltimore or with my band, we, we kind of see that the operation is that much more fluid. And, I would say and, at this point right now, I probably have a core group of about seven, uh-huh. but I have a couple other people that work for me also when needed. Cause you know, obviously we're not always running giant shows. So yeah. we don't always need a full staff. Yeah. Well, that's I'm really a- lucky to, for the people that I have. I mean, they have all been pretty dedicated to the cause. Even some of the people that don't work for feed the scene anymore, really, you know, gave their all while they were here and, and really elevated the experience of what we do. I'm really proud of what we all built together over this time period. Yeah. Is is some is it something that you think about consciously that you've been doing this for so long and you know it it just kind of started as a germ of an idea and it's grown into this this massive thing. Is it is it something that you're, or do you have smell the flower moments or are you just always kind of in, in the go mode? I mean, I've definitely had a lot of time this year to have smell the flower moments. <laughs> yeah. You know, it, it's sort of nuts sometimes for me to think about the fact that I basically made up a job, <laughs> you know, this didn't exist as a real job, you know, in terms of the, the you know band hostile part of it. You know, there's lots of people who house people, but we do it very much on purpose. We've housed over probably 1,500 bands individually from, I think it's 28 countries now. Wow. And that's just individual bands, not however many times they've shown up. Like, I can't even count how many times you've been here, how many times Brian's been here, how many times, you know, a ton of other bands have come through. Yeah. So that's 1,500 bands times probably a whole bunch. (laughs) It's That's amazing. And... Yeah, and I, I imagine Survey Says probably stayed at your house, you know, five times yeah. in a month with as much as they used to tour. <laughs> they, that, well, I don't know if they still hold the record anymore, but they did hold the record for a band because they had been here 10 times. But that was That's over crazy. 10 years. I mean, some of that was more concentrated than others, but obviously, well, probably not 10 years because they stopped being a band a couple years ago. Um, either way, um, I'd have to go back and look and see if they still hold the leaderboard spot, but I haven't done any band math in a while because <laughs> we haven't had to. Yeah. Well, what's what's next? What's next for Feed the Scene? That is a really good question. A lot of that depends on what the industry looks like at the outcome of this and how long 
it takes us to come out of it. Mm-hmm. I mean, all of all of what I do revolves around what all of you can do. To a certain extent. We have extent, no idea because, what we can do. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, at this point, we don't know what venues we'll be left with, what all of that will cost, you know, how much it will cost to route a tour, whether you can route a tour. Everyone's going to want to tour. So there's going to be a glut of people trying to take up space in venues, which is going to be, you know, a positive thing for the most part. But also, you know, we have to make sure that people can afford to go to all these shows. And, you know, is, is there going to be a dip in the market in terms of prices for everything while we get everything back on the road? Or will everything be so much more expensive because people are trying to recoup expenses? And will that screw things up more? You know, we, we really won't know until we get probably a vaccine at this point. We know right now that it probably won't be for a while. Yeah. So I'm just (laughs) sitting here in my house. It was so weird. I, in April, like March and April, we had, I had people in up until about the middle of March. And that was really when, when, you know, venues were kind of shut down with the, with the closings of everything. And then I was in my house by myself for like, a month and a half and it was real weird it's just so <laughs> drastic i mean that's that's kind of that's well, i didn't even have I, roommates yeah so the whole house was empty it was literally just me and i haven't been just me in this house for more than a night in probably most of the 10 years i lived here yeah that's that's amazing that's just i mean, that's, I mean it was really it's quiet creepy. And kind of peaceful but it was very odd you know it's unsettling yeah, one of my uh, coworkers, Eric, he's like, he likes to say, yeah, on, on March 12th, I was a front of house engineer getting ready to get on an airplane. And on March 13th, I was unemployed indefinitely. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm like, yep, yeah, we, we're all kind of in that boat of, well, what the fuck, you know? And we're seeing people kind of go back to restaurants and we're seeing people go back yeah. to these, these kind of concerts, but it, it's it's not that's not the world in which we operated. So no. we're, we're doing and, the best with what we can. Because you don't want to get mad at the people who are trying to earn a living making music, but it's also frustrating because every time someone plays in a bar, they are encouraging people to be stagnant in a place for a long time, which, you know, contributes to the possibility of people getting sick still. Yeah. And, you know, you don't want to begrudge anyone for working, but it, it's, it's hard to, sit in some parts of this industry and watch you know that happen (laughs) well rachel here on the berman hour we can begrudge we can begrudge (laughs) besmudge galore because i I think it's okay i think honestly think it's okay to call out our contemporaries when we think it's not even contemporary some of it's literally just people who are three set you know, bar entertainment, which is yeah. fine. That's what yeah. they do. But, you know, it, I can't put on a show. And I know that there are people starting to try social distancing shows, but <clears throat> I mean. Yeah, but my, my point was irresponsibility is irresponsibility. And we're seeing that across the board. I, yeah. I, I think it's irresponsible to be posting your tour dates for. 2021 like anybody right now gives a fuck because well, also at this point yeah. we don't even know if those are real yeah like, exactly 2021 tour dates are a nice thought but we still have states that have quarantine mandates so if you tour through maryland you can't go to new york mm-hmm. so that means you're going to pick new york because new york has more people 
but even then you're still held up by capacity regulations. So how much money can you really make on tour? I mean, I know it's more than none, but I definitely know if you go to Maryland, you can't come back to New York or you have to go home and quarantine for 14 days. Yeah. That would be quite a break. (laughs) (laughs) Oh yeah. 14 days off in the middle of. It's one of the pieces of the logistics of all of this that make it so complicated for people who tour as opposed to just play locally. Exactly. And people who need to tour in the manner that we did and in the manner that a lot of our contemporaries did and that they need to play every day, or maybe if if they're on a 30 day jaunt, then maybe they have two days off, but otherwise, you know, they're, yeah, it's unlikely that anyone's going to have more than one day off in a row. It's, it's just so not reasonable unless someone has a a flight that they, you know, land in a different time zone and really need to deal with jet lag. Exactly. Well, I'm, I'm pulling for us and I know that it's people like you that are going to help us, bridge this gap and absolutely that's the thing is we're all just going to have to come together and figure it out together yeah but some of the you know industry standards are going to decide what pieces we have to work with but we're just all going to have to decide that we care enough about each other to figure it out because we can't you know the diy community is very caring i think for the most part and i don't think anyone's really really you know, gimme, 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 where it was my piece of the pie, or they wouldn't be in it. Like, you don't do this for a living if that's who you are. So hopefully we can all figure out how to make sure that everyone comes out of this okay. Exactly. Well, I miss you. I hope to see you in person at some time soon, especially since we don't live that far apart. But... I know. You're the closest you've been in forever, and I, I still haven't seen you. I know. Because, you know, there's a pandemic. Exactly. All right. Well, uh, on behalf of everyone in the divided heaven and protagonist camp, uh, we love you and we, uh, we hope that you're able to stay safe and, and continue to be doing the good things that you're doing. I hope so too. See you on the other side. And there you have it. My conversation with Rachel Taft from feed the scene. I want to thank her for coming on the podcast, and I want to thank all of you for tuning into the Berman Hour podcast. Please rate, review, and subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. Every little bit helps. I also want to thank our sponsors, New Wave, who are bringing Flow State Coffee to all of us. Let me help you get 10% off your first order of Flow State Coffee by going to newwave.co slash Berman. That's N-O-O-W-A-V-E dot C-O slash B-E-R. M-A-N. And last but not least, Divided Heaven has a new single out today. They Poisoned Our Fathers, featuring Lydia Lovelace. Find it wherever you stream music, wherever you download music. Shit. Email me. Message me on Instagram, and I'll send it to you. There may or may not be a new video coming soon. There is. Tomorrow. Anyway, thank you all very much. Until next time, let's get it.